For a second, we're so glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, today was uh, is a, a special day because we get to hear Jake. Jake is our associate pastor. He's coming to preach this morning. 
Our pastor and his wife are off in, are they in Florida? Oh, my goodness. So they may not be in Florida today. I don't know. Uh, they're okay. Okay, so they're okay. Good. Uh, so they're, well, let's pray for them as they're out there somewhere in the weather. Uh, but we're just glad that you're here with us this morning. Can you tell I don't normally do the welcome? What am I forgetting, Jake? Oh, yeah, if you're a guest with us this morning, we're so glad to have you here. We're especially glad to have you here. After the service, we're going to have a little special car, a special gift for you. Uh, but in the pew rack in front of you, there are some guest cards. We'd love to have a registration of your visit. Uh, we're not going to abuse that information, so uh, we just want to have a record of your, uh, of your visit. Plus, even more than that, we want to know what's on your heart and your mind and what, and what ways we can minister to you. So write on there things, whatever's in your, in your life that you need us to pray for you about or just come help you out with, uh, we'd love to, to be a part of that so that we can share life together as a, as a congregation of believers. So at this time, we're going to have you stand and shake each other's hands and greet each other. Roaring 
with power and fighting our battles and every knee will bow before him our god is the lamb the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world his blood breaks the chains and every knee will bow for the lion and the lamb and every knee will bow before him stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? No one. Who can stop the Lord? Sing it over the battle. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord? Oh, we were made for worship. Before the day, before the light, before the world revolves around the sun, God on high stepped down into time and wrote the story of His love for everyone. He has hurled our hearts with wonder. So that we always remember You and I were made to worship You and I are called love You and I are forgiven and free When you and I embrace surrender When you and I choose to believe You and I will see We were meant to be All we are and all we have is all a gift from God that we receive. Brought to light, we opened up our lives to see the majesty and glory of the King. He has filled our hearts with wonder. So that we always remember You and I are made to worship You and I are called love You and I are forgiven and free We are forgiven and free yeah. You and I will see who We were meant to be And even the rocks cry out and even the heavens shout at the sound of His holy name. So let every voice sing out, and let every knee bow down. He is worthy of all our name. 
You and I were made to worship. You and I are called to love. You and I are forgiven and free. When you and I embrace surrender, when you and I choose to believe, then you and I will see. Oh, you and I were made to worship. You and I are called to love. You and I are forgiven and free. We are forgiven and free. You and I will see we were meant to be. We were meant to be. Hey, when we were meant to be. I just heard a song recently that has just blown my mind. It's a song called So Will I. And I want you, we're going to sing it now. It's brand new. Uh, and, and, but I want you to pay particular attention to the lyrics of this song. They are, they're going to they're bless your heart. And um, so enjoy this song. Make it your own. Make it, make it uh, your words as you sing to the Lord of creation. And you're saying, you know, you've done all these things and, and you've... Uh, You've done those kind of things, and you're our example, so so will I. Uh, so let's, let's sing. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. No point of reference You spoke to the dark And fleshed out the wonder of life And as you speak A hundred billion galaxies are born In the vapor of your breath the planets born. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. Amen. I can see your heart in everything you've made. Every burning star, a signal fire. If creation sings your praises, so will I. Amen. God of your promise, you don't speak a word in vain, no syllable. For once you have spoken, all nature and science follow the sound of your voice. And as you speak, 
A hundred billion creatures catch your breath Evolving in pursuit of what you said If all reveals your nature so alive I can see your heart in everything you say Every painted sky, a canvas of your grace. If creation still obeys you, so will I. So
Every precious one, a child you died to save. You gave your life to love him so alive. Like you would again a hundred billion times. But what measure could amount to Lord, we come before you this morning just offering up our worship to you. Lord, we want to we be like the, the creation around us and worship you. We want to be just like the song says. If they would do it, then so will we. I love that line where you say, you know, one day that you rose from the dead and one day so will I. Oh, Lord, we give you glory because the glory belongs to you, Lord. Help us in our worship. We can't even worship you in a right way without your Holy Spirit intervening, Lord. And so, Lord, we call on you this morning to help us to worship you. Help us to to be pleasing to you, to bless you in such a way that we put a smile on the face of God. Imagine, if we could only imagine, that we can put a smile on your face, Lord. We want to do that this morning. Help us. We turn our hearts and our lives and our worship over to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Amen. I'm grateful for Todd Green. I appreciate you, Todd. And I probably say this once a week. Don't ever change, Todd. Don't ever change. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, let's open them up to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 11. As we're continuing to walk through this series together. And... Um, as Todd said earlier, uh, Brenton and Cindy are in Florida. They're right outside of Tampa. I uh, talked to Brenton yesterday, and he said that uh, they had sunny weather. Everything was good. Probably going to see some rain, but they're, they're good. No worries there. So uh, that's good to know. But we're praying for them as they recharge and have some time on vacation. And, um, and so we're going to continue to walk through Nehemiah together. And as you step there, what I want to do as we start is I want you to kind of Step into Nehemiah's shoes for a moment. I want you to identify with him. See, Persia, where Nehemiah was, was the leading empire of the day at the time of this book's writing. And the palace where Nehemiah served was lavish. I mean, it was magnificent. It was luxury, okay? And everything that mattered or everything that was happening in that time and place was happening in Persia. Life was bustling with activity, and and people are everywhere, and there's excitement. I just imagine lights, camera, action, you know, just like major cities that we have today. And Nehemiah used to live there. He had a relatively good and easy life there in Persia. He was a cupbearer to the king. So unless someone's trying to poison or harm the king, Nehemiah, his life is good. He's living the good life. He's got all the good food, all the good entertainment, all the really great stuff that could be happening in that culture is happening around Nehemiah. But God changes everything for him. He goes from the excitement of Persia to this little podunk town called Jerusalem. 
See, Jerusalem's just this busted up, run-down city at the moment. And what we're about to find out is that you can't even beg people to live in Jerusalem at this time. Jerusalem is the exact opposite of Persia. And yet Nehemiah has a heart for a city. He loves his community. This is the community that God had called him to. And the reason why Nehemiah loves Jerusalem so much is because he knows that God is at work there. He experiences God's presence there. Now, there might not be flashy lights and great entertainment or all types of activity, but the community there is so precious to him. You see, when I think about that with Nehemiah, um, I'm kind of reminded of somebody that I interact with on a, on a day-to-day basis in, in the, the Dorak household. Could I introduce you to somebody who I, uh, I, I talk to a, a lot in, in our house? This is Lightning McQueen right here. What did y'all think I was going to say? Did, did y'all not see that coming? This is Lightning McQueen. I think Nehemiah and Lightning McQueen have a lot in common, okay? Nehemiah left what was probably one of the most impressive places in the ancient world to this broken down city that didn't even have walls. Well, Lightning McQueen left the excitement of the Piston Cup, right, to living in this small town called Radiator Springs. When Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem, uh, the, the Bible says that the rubble was so thick he couldn't even pass through the walls in order to inspect what's going on. Well, when lightning enters Radiator Springs, he tears up the road so bad he is ordered by Doc Hudson to, to fix the roads, right? Y'all can tell I've seen this movie a lot, right? Don't worry, I'm not done yet. We're getting there, though. Um, Nehemiah fell in love with Jerusalem. He fell in love because something special was going on there. God's presence was there. Well, Lightning fell in love with Radiator Springs. He fell in love with it because of the community that he experienced there. He met his best friend there in Radiator Springs. He met Toe Mater, right? Not only Toe Mater, he met his mentor, the fabulous Doc Hudson. And not only that, he met this little car named Sally, who gave him some extra motivation to stay nearby. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Nehemiah experienced something in Jerusalem that no empire could offer or even compare to. He encountered the presence of God. And that was more than enough. So we look in chapter 6 after the wall is built. And we read here in chapter 7 verse 4 that the city was large and spacious. But there were very few people in it. No houses have been built yet. So we have these walls in the city but we have no people. And so here's Nehemiah, all the activity back in the palace of Persia, and he's sitting here by himself in Jerusalem, wondering, okay, God, what do we do next? But here's the thing. Even though he's in Persia in that small little town, or even though he's in Jerusalem in that small little town, God's at work. God is at work to advance his kingdom. So here's the big idea we want to get across today. Here's the one idea, and that's this. God is building churches made up of seemingly insignificant people who live ordinary lives. And by living these ordinary lives, they are changing the world. Um, It's this time of year where I normally kind of read stuff on the internet, like blog posts or Facebook updates or something like that, where people say stuff like, you know, our worship should be as exciting on Sunday as it is 
that we're excited on on Saturdays when we're watching college football, right? You ever see stuff like that on Facebook? Like, man, if, if we could just be as excited on Saturday as we are on Sunday, then our churches would just be so amazing, right? And here's the thing, you might look at the massive college football stadiums that we have in our country, and you may see the portly gentlemen with paint all over their stomachs, right? And you may see the roars of the crowds and all of that, and you might think, gosh, I'm not sure if the church really compares to all the excitement of an SEC football game. But could I, could I propose something to you that, that maybe... In our world, the church may sometimes see insignificant, that maybe that that's kind of how God chooses to work in the world, that God would rather use the ordinary, the seemingly insignificant, maybe the not so flashy, in order to work in the world and get his purposes done. Uh, I think that that is how God always chooses to work. That's how he worked in Nehemiah's day, and I think that's how he works in our day too. God loves to use ordinary people who live ordinary lives to accomplish his plans. And here's the thing, God loves the local church. And he loves to build local churches that are made up of ordinary people who have ordinary problems and do ordinary things and do it in extraordinary ways through the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's the first point we want to make this morning as we look at Nehemiah 11 and 12. The first point is this. God uses ordinary people who surrender their control to him. Look at uh, verse 11, I mean chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Let's look at what the text says. It says this. Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. The rest of the people casted lots to bring out one of every ten of them to live in the city of Jerusalem. Did y'all see that? The leaders lived there. They wanted to live there. But the rest, they had to cast lots to see if they could just get 10% of their population to actually live inside the city. But it says that they wanted, to li- wanted them to live in the city of Jerusalem, the holy city while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. The people commended all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. So they had to force people to live inside of the city. And I kind of understand that. The city was dangerous at that time. If you got to think, they just built these big walls. If a marauding army was to come through, the first thing they would see is those walls and think there's a kingdom over there. That's where all the resources are. That's, that's a target. That's where we should go first if we're going to try to rob the city. So living in the city meant you're putting a target on your back. It means you're putting your family in harm's way. Not only that, but living in the city meant you're going to live with less land. In that culture, um, land was how you, how you fed your family. It was how you made money. I mean, it's a farming agricultural society right here. Living at less, with less land puts you at a disadvantage financially. It's going to diminish your prosperity. So here's the deal. They had to force 10% of their population to live inside this city. I think what's ironic about all this is that they call the city the holy city, right? God lives in Jerusalem, but nobody else wants to live there, Right? And that's what you see going on here in the text. The text tells us that the people praised those who volunteered to live in the city. I don't know what kind of praise this was, but I'm pretty sure it probably involved some form of, oh, bless your heart, right? Like, which is southern dialect for, I'm really glad I'm not you, right? Right? Like, 
You go ahead. So if, if someone says, oh, bless your heart today, well, we're moving on. So I, I don't know if they praised the people who drew the small straws to live there. But what I do know is this, is that there were people who were not willing to live there. But there were some. There were some who were willing to place God's program over their own agenda. Like there were some people who were willing to give up their plans, to give up their futures, to give up what they wanted. There were people who were willing to give up control of their lives in order to follow the Lord's will. Jerusalem offered very little to the people who lived there. And I suspect that the people who chose to live there weren't doing so because of what the city could offer. They were doing so because of what the city was about. The city was about the kingdom of God. The people who lived in the city wanted to be a part of what God is doing. Therefore, they were surrendering their plans. They surrendered their control, their finances, their families, their futures. And the text says that the people blessed them. When I read that, I kind of think for a moment, who is it in our church that we should bless this way? I mean, who are the people who are doing this in the, the church big C and the church little C? Who are the people who do this in our world that we should bless this way? Well, when you, when you think about this, probably the first thing that comes to mind are, are missionaries, right? Missionaries, pastors, church leaders, and that's true. But could I suggest maybe some other people that you should maybe bless in the same way that they're blessing these people in the text who are doing the same thing? Let me point out a few, a few types of people we should bless. How about those who work in the nursery? People who take care of the little babies, right, that are just being born right there. I'm sure there's maybe some diaper changes or something like that that goes on in that moment. How about those who work in the nursery? Or how about those who take care of our children while we worship in all three services? Maybe those are people we should bless. Or how about this? What about those who work behind the scenes in the sound booth up there, right? Uh, making sure that these, these worship services work correctly and everything comes together. Um, see, we have a lot of volunteers in our church who do a lot of unglamorous things behind the scenes just to make sure everything works properly. And, and they set aside time that maybe they could be using for other stuff that they would rather be doing, but they do it because that's what the church needs. I think these are some of the people that we should bless and do it often. But here's, here's the real point I want to get across as we look at this. Do you see the picture of the gospel here? Do you see the picture of Jesus? You see, Nehemiah 11, 1 and 2, is a picture of pre-Christ, Christ-likeness. When Jesus left the splendor of heaven to come to a world that was unfavorable towards him. Like, we didn't, like, praise him when he entered human history. No, we, we mocked him. Not only did we mock him, we crucified him. And yet, he set aside his life in order to meet our greatest need. Our greatest need to be made right with the Father. You see, to follow Jesus is to follow him in laying down our lives, laying down our control for the benefit of others, just like he did for us. In the church, we want to embrace Christ-likeness. We want to recognize Christ-likeness, and we want to celebrate it. I, I think that's one of the blessings of being a part of a local church. Like, one of the things I love about, about being a part of a local church is that you see pictures of Christ-likeness every day. 
Like there's so many things that go on around here that maybe no one knows about, but they're just little pictures of Christ-likeness. Like just this times when people just come up to you and encourage you when you need it most. Has that ever happened to you here? Or, or times when people just say, hey, I'm praying for you. Or, or times where people just say, hey, here's a card, or I know you're going through a hard time. Or people who sacrifice greatly. Because that's just what God's calling them to do. In the local church, you see pictures of Christ-likeness all the time. Listen, people here, we don't live perfect lives, right? Because we're all works in progress. But one of the beauties about being a part of a local church is that you see little glimpses and pictures of Jesus in every person in the room. Like, that's good preaching. I don't know about you, but I'm amen to myself right now. I'm, I'm getting fired up. Here's what I want you to see. God uses ordinary people. Ordinary people, just like you and me, but he uses ordinary people who will surrender their control of their own lives and say, hey, it's not about me, Lord. What do you call me to? What do you want from me? Let me ask you, is the Holy Spirit saying anything to you right now as we look at this? Are there things that you're controlling in your life that you need to let go of and surrender to him? The second thing we see in the text is this. God uses ordinary people who surrender their eternity. So as we look at chapter 11, verses 3 through 24, we see a record of those who moved in and live in the city of Jerusalem. And we see this long list of Hebrew names. Now, you know me and reading a list of Hebrew names, right? You know how much I love to do that, right? And you all also know how entertaining that is. So what I'm going to do is I'm probably going to spare you me reading the list, okay? But here's what I want to point out, though. There's a repeated word uh, in this passage right here, this little chunk of text. And in verse 6, verse 8, and 14, the text talks about how there, these men who moved into the city, they were men of standing. They were men of val valor. Um, these were men of courage. The men who moved into the city, they put their families in harm's way. They lived life at a disadvantage. And the text says that they were men of great courage in the face of opposition. These were men that you could respect. These were men that you could count on. These were man's men, right? These weren't wimps, right? These were guys who could stand in the gap. But they weren't just men of courage. Um, in Nehemiah 11, verse 17, we find a genealogy there that traces all the way back to Asaph. Asaph is one who wrote many of the Psalms. And this list shows what kind of person returned to Jerusalem. You see, these weren't just men of courage. These were men of faith. These were men of purity. These were men of holiness. These were men who wanted to live differently. These were men who wanted to be set apart. And as I read this, I have to ask myself the question, what makes someone want to live life at a disadvantage? Like, what, what is it about these guys that made them want, it, want to live a life of, of constant sacrifice? I mean, as I said before, living in Jerusalem meant putting your family in harm's way. It meant less income. It meant less stress. It meant more inconveniences. And let's be honest, living life is already difficult, right? Why would you want to make life even, even harder on yourself? Who willingly signs up for that? Where's the motivation to live life like that? Well, let me give you a clue. You see, God created us for joy. God created us to have joy in life. 
But the way that we have joy, it comes through worshiping him. It doesn't come through living for ourselves. And see, God created us to know and enjoy him. But here's the deal. Humanity just seems a way to find a a good job of just making themselves miserable by not living their lives for Christ, living their lives for themselves. And, And you look at Adam and Eve and then every human being since then who's been born under the curse, we've done a good job of wrecking our lives, living broken lives through sin and rebellion and idolatry. And yet, here's the beautiful thing. God still goes after us in the midst of all that brokenness, doesn't he? I mean, God finds us on the path of destruction, and he picks us up, and he puts us on the path of life and the path of joy. And here in Nehemiah 11, we find a a list of people who have chosen joy. They've chosen joy because they're living life on a narrow and a hard path. But that path, it ultimately leads to joy. These are people who have chosen to live a life of worship. And I think when you look at this list found here in Nehemiah 11, you've got to ask yourself the question, what list is my name on? Right? What list is your name on? Is your name enrolled on the list that leads to destruction? Or is your name listed on the, on the list that, that brings life? Uh, which list is, is your life on? Listen, there's two ways to live. There's two paths and there's two final destinations. Which way are you headed? And you might be sitting there and thinking, well, Jake, how do I know? How do I know which list I'm on? Well, I think there's two questions you can ask. Here's the first one. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ to save you from your sin? That's the first question you ask. Have I trusted in in Christ to, to save me? And here's the second question, though. Are you a member of a local church? Now, that second question might raise an eyebrow, right? Like, church membership? Like, that, that matters? Listen, if you're a member of a local church, that's because you've trusted in Christ, and that also means you've publicly been baptized in front of all, pe- all your friends, neighbors, relatives, whatever, in front of people. And in that baptism, you proclaim to the world, I trust Jesus, I'm on his team. Baptism is the uniform of the Christian. You see, baptism and church membership, they're outward symbols of an inward reality. But let me tell you this, they absolutely matter. They're important. And if you haven't trusted in Christ and you're not a member of a local church, could I just ask you this morning to think about the outcome of your life? Like, think for a moment. There's two ways to live. There are two paths in this life to walk on. And there's two final destinations. It's either death or it's life. What path are you on? What list are you on? What destination is your life taking you? Like right now, in the middle of this message, we normally wait to the end. I'm not waiting to the end. I want to do it right now. Right now, in the middle of this, I offer you the opportunity to trust Jesus, to give your life to him, to get off this path of destruction and allow God to move you into the path that leads to life. And the way that you do that is you say, hey, I am no longer going to follow destruction. I'm no longer going to live for me. I'm no longer going to live a life of sin and rebellion. What I'm going to do instead is I'm going to turn around. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to run to Jesus. And when I run to him, here's the beautiful thing. Boom. He meets you right where you are. And he takes you and he saves you. Man, some of you tonight, today, like, uh, that's where you're at. And for years, you've been live, walking on a path of destruction and you've been faking and fooling everyone. It's time to turn around. 
All right, so. <laughs> Thanks, Todd. Yeah. Here's the deal. In Romans 10, 13, it says, if you call on the name of the Lord, he's going to save you. Today, I, I, I want to tell you that you can have a life of joy. But that life of joy is only found in worshiping Jesus, following him. So as we move quickly now through this text, we get to chapter 11, or chapter 12. And in chapter 12, 1 through 26, we see a record of the ministry of the priest and the, and the Levites, right? And ultimately what the text is trying to tell us is that from Zerubbabel to Nehemiah, during the whole exile, the ministry of the priests continued on. They continued to do sacrifices. They continued to worship. Like God continued to sustain the ministry even in the most difficult times. And then in Nehemiah 12, 27 through 30, uh, we see the people who are celebrating God's victories, like all the hard times that they went through during the exile. they celebrating how God was still faithful. Isn't that kind of neat? No matter what kind of hard time you've been through, I want you to know God is still faithful to you. And it says in this moment that there was two great choirs that are marching around the city like a great parade. They start out from the middle and they go around one side of the wall and then the other side of the wall. And they're singing praises and thanksgiving and families and neighbors are coming out. And it's like, I don't know. In my mind, what I see is in Philadelphia where I grew up, every year during New Year's Eve, after the balls dropped on TV, all the neighbors come out and they bang pops, pots and pans and they celebrate and they go, woo And I thought it was the weirdest thing when I was a kid. And uh, this isn't in my notes, but it just came to me, so I'm going with it, right? But just pot, pots and pans and woo That's kind of what I see in the text right now. And that's free. You're welcome. We move forward. But here's what I want to get across, and that's this. They're singing songs of thanksgiving. Verse 27 says, they celebrated with gladness, thanksgiving, and singing. Let me ask you. When's the last time you've done that? When's the last time where you just took time out of your day and said, you know what, God, I just want to praise you because no matter what I'm going through, I know that you're faithful. I know that you're here with me. I know that you're good. When's the last time where you just took time to praise and thank God for what he's doing in your life? Could I submit to you that this could be a weekly thing that you do together corporately here in worship? That this isn't just uh, something you check off the list that you've done throughout your week, but this is a moment where you can just bring all that you've been through and say, hey, God, you are amazing. Thank you for what you've done in my life. But could I also submit to you that this is something you could do daily in your car on the way to work? Like, don't raise your hands, though. Don't go Pentecostal on your drive to work, right? You know, stay Baptist, right? <laughs> but um, like that, that's something you could do daily. How about this? Not just on your way to work. Like, this is something you could probably also do as a family. Not just we're going to pray over our meal together, amen, let's eat, right? But this is something we could stop as a family and intentionally do together. We'll just praise God and thank him for what he's done in our lives. Here's the third point we get to. Our third point is this. God uses ordinary people who surrender their resources to him. So in the final part of chapter 12, we see that they've, they're back in the temple, and regular worship is happening. Look what happens in verse 44. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storehouses for the contributions, first fruits and tithes. And from the fields around the towns, they were to bring in from the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. Verse 45. They performed the service 
of their God and the service of purification as also the musicians, the gatekeepers, according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there had been um, musicians and for songs and praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah and all of Israel, uh, they contributed the daily portions for the musicians and the gatekeepers. They also set aside portion for other Levites. And the Levites set aside a portion to the descendants of Aaron. That's a whole lot of cultural stuff going on there. But let me just boil it down to this. They gave joyfully so that the work of God could go further, could go forward. These people realized the importance of corporate worship. They realized the importance of the temple, or in our day, the importance of the local church. And they were willing to give faithfully and joyfully so that the ministry could go further. As I kind of close, there's a, there's a missionary from, from church history that I think of a lot when I think of this. There's a man by the name of William Carey. William Carey was a cobbler. Now, I know in a Southern Baptist church, I just said cobbler, and y'all, y'all are thinking of something else. But a cobbler was somebody who makes shoes, right? So he was a cobbler. And here's the thing. Carey had a heart for India. He kept a map of India in his shop. And every day while he's working, he'd stop and he'd just study that map and he'd pray for it because his heart longed to be in India to preach the gospel there. There's another thing I loved about Kerry. He wanted to preach in India, but that didn't mean he wasn't preaching here in the United States. He was faithful here and over there, right? So Kerry would, at times, set aside time to just preach here in his, in his town where he was. A friend one time said, you know what? You're preaching so much, it's hurting your business, William. Maybe you should stop preaching. Here's what William Carey said to him. Neglecting my business? My business is to extend the kingdom of God. I only cobble shoes in order to pay for my expenses. That's the life of a Christ follower right there, right? Like, I only do this in order so that I can advance the kingdom of God. See, God is building churches of seemingly insignificant people who are living ordinary lives, but in living ordinary daily lives, they're changing the world. These normal people, they're seeking the kingdom first, and then God is adding everything after that. So, as we close... Nehemiah 11 and 12 is about ordinary people. Ordinary people who are surrendered to the will of God. They surrendered control of their lives. They surrendered their eternity. They trust Christ with their eternity. They've surrendered their resources. And here's the reason why they surrendered. They surrendered because the presence of God was more precious to them than anything else this world could offer. Let's pray together. God, as we have looked at your word this morning, Lord, I pray that we would live a life of surrender. God, no one here lives a perfect life. But Father, we want to live a life of worship. We want to live a life of Christ-likeness, and that's only found in surrendering all to you. God, I pray that we would be people who are willing to sacrifice our resources in order to be a part of your kingdom. That we would sacrifice our eternity, or not sacrifice, but surrender our eternity to you. And Lord, ultimately, 
that we would give up control, that we would surrender the control of our plans, of our futures, that we'd surrender all of that to you and trust you with the outcome. Father, today as you're moving among your people, will you show us the places where we are not surrendered and where we need to surrender to you? And we ask this in Jesus' good name. Amen. So this morning, I invite you to surrender. Just wave your white flag for a moment. For some of you, it's, I need to surrender my eternity. I need to follow Jesus. I no longer want to live for me. I want to turn around. I want to turn around and follow him. You can do that this morning. If you come here down to the front, love to talk with you. And we have decision counselors who'd love to talk to you. You can surrender your life to Christ. Get off a path of destruction. Move to a path of joy in life. You can do that this morning. For some of you, it's realizing that the local church is where God is working in the world. You need to be a member of a local church. You can join this church. We're, we're not perfect, right? We're, we're all still in a process of becoming more like Jesus. But our something might be better than nothing, right? And you can come and join this church this morning. For some of it, you just need to kind of be honest with the Lord and say, hey, this is an area where I'm not surrendering. I want to repent. I want to turn around and give it back to you. However the Lord is working, would you stand and respond to his word? When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come. Longing just to bring something that's of worth ever bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it When it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus King of endless words No one could express how much you deserve the one we can pour all I have is yours every single breath I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required. 
You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. Sing it, church. I'm coming back Amen. You can be seated as we continue to worship now through giving our tithes and offerings. Uh, you can also drop it into the plate at this time as well. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to before you as ordinary people and are just thankful that you, that you love ordinary people. Guide us and help us to, to use what you provided to further your kingdom. In your son's name we pray. Amen.
Okay, so I made notes this time. All right, so uh, don't forget that you got connection groups. Uh, so that's what you're going to right now at, uh, at the 9.30 time period. Uh, so be sure to go do that. Uh, also, uh, worship choir. We want you to come to worship choir this Wednesday. We're doing the Christmas musical. So it's not too late to join that at 6 o'clock uh, Wednesday nights. Best night of the week, by the way. Six, uh, Wednesday night, best night of the week. Don't miss that. Uh, One Day of Hope Rally is here on Thursday. Our band will be leading that uh, this Thursday in this very room at 7 p.m. And, oh, and fi- by the way, if you would like to meet Jake and Katie, his wife, uh, at the, the uh, guest welcome center, thank you, the welcome center right down this hallway to my left, your right, uh, they would like to meet with you, especially first-time guests. We, they would love to meet you. And for a first-time guest, we have a little gift we'd like to give you. So uh, go over there and take care of that. But we're a little late, so hurry up and get to your class. Let me pray for you. Lord, we pray that today will be an awesome day in your name. Lord, thank you for this great worship service. Help us to have an awesome time where we uh, we just get inside your word and we learn more about you. And then we get to fellowship with other believers and we connect not only to each other, but connect to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.